to the Wellbeing Rebellion, the podcast that's changing workplace cultures for good. We're your hosts, Ngazi Wella and Obehi Alafoje. Let's get this rebellion started. Welcome, everybody, to another thrilling episode of the Wellbeing Rebellion. Why are you laughing? Thrilling. Our episodes are thrilling. I've been told that they're thrilling. Even if they aren't thrilling, I'm going to pretend that they're thrilling. So we're going to be talking today about something that's come up increasingly and I am just so frustrated by it, and so is Obi, yeah. is this topic of well-being washing and, and how to know if your company is doing it. Are you well-being washing? So what is well-being washing? It's, it's a term that is used to describe companies that aren't really offering their people the mental health support that they need, even though they're loud and proud about just how important good mental health is to them. So these companies who, it's like greenwashing, right? Yeah. Those companies who talk all openly about their green credentials whilst not actually giving a flying monkey's did you see how I pulled it back there? Could so easily have sworn. I did not. So what, what we're finding increasingly is because we all know that it's the right thing to be uh, seen as supportive of your employees' welfare and their mental health and well-being. We all know now that it's okay not to be okay. Companies feel a tremendous pressure to publicly state just how much they value their employees. But at the same time, they're under incredible operational pressures that prevent them from doing the very necessary investment that they need to so that they can actually support their employees. And we're seeing more and more employees looking at these corporate well-being initiatives as just lip service and that doesn't help anyone it leads to general dissatisfaction and mistrust there was a survey done in february this year by iosh institution of occupational safety and health i quite like that iosh it is nice isn't it <laughs> yeah they said 51% of employees deemed that their employer was guilty of well-being washing yeah I do like do survey. yours? Yeah. And there were some examples of staff benefits. You know how organizations would say, oh, yeah, we have benefits, we have stuff for staff, that we, we pay for all these things, and, and, and that's what makes it good, and therefore we are adding to the well-being conversation, and we're helping our employees do well. And then you're like, you don't really need those things. The staff benefits, there are a lot of those benefits that the employees don't actually want or need. And they included things in the survey. They included things like online well-being services, which me and Ngoji could talk all day about that. Online well-being services, which means I have to talk to a computer or press a button when I'm feeling whatever I'm feeling. You can see how many of us will not do that. I don't know if you're, let me know you're the minority of people who actually think, you know what, I'm going to press that app now. I'm going to call that app. A lot of people don't, but a lot of services insist on doing it. And I'm not knocking all the apps. But the app cannot be the only thing that's available. And you cannot refer someone who just had a bereavement or a divorce or 
something happened to their child and then you're now saying, yeah, why don't you try that app? Yeah, it doesn't play. It doesn't work. Okay, because that was one example. The other one was the EAP program. So you've already established yourself having employee assistance program, but then this program don't focus on out-of-hours issues or they don't actually deal with work-related issues. It depends on the quality of the EAP you get. So, you know, so that's mm. one example there. Yeah, but companies who are struggling are going for rock bottom. And well, EAPs yeah, themselves, fair. EAP providers themselves, they didn't set up shop in the pandemic. They didn't anticipate this volume of interest in yeah. their services. So they were able to charge such low cost per capita because they weren't expecting that many people to use it. Typical uptake of EAP yeah. usage is like less than 8%. So if you then ha- are having companies rightfully signpost their employees to their employee assistance pr- program for support, and you get uptake of, let's even say double digits, ooh, 10, that's eating into the um, EAP provider's profits. So yeah. then they can't provide the kind of service that they need to. And we're finding that EAP services are stretched. They're not able to respond as quickly or as effectively or support for as as much as they should. So mm, it's yeah. tough out there for everybody. It is. Then there's the, oh, this is the other one that made me laugh. It was discount on holidays. Okay, which is nice. I mean, I don't remember ever working for a company where they gave me discount for holidays, but okay. But it's still, it's still expensive, right? You still can't afford it. The well-being walks, that was the other perk. You have well-being walks, but you don't have time to go on them, okay? Then there was the fruit and ice cream. <laughs> what company was that? Can you name and shame? Yeah, they didn't say. It's just a liquid just survey. Food. Okay, I've heard of food bowl. I, did, I have heard of that one. Uh, but fair. the ice cream was the one that Be me out. Be fair, Obi. <laughs> if you were given free quality ice cream, would you not feel yeah, better? I mean, to be fair, I think I like the idea of fruit and ice cream. But at the park, we did the school. Like in, where do they serve food and ice cream? But anyway, but I, I was just shocked to see that. So that was nice. I mean, it was nice, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Listen, the point is, the fruit and ice cream isn't bad. Discounts on holidays, not bad. Shopping discounts, not bad. bad but also not supportive of mental health and well-being. Yeah. Not what I like to call effective solutions. Yeah. It's but, not going to help you. But this is the one that I wouldn't, I have to admit, I wasn't expecting to see there. I'm happy it is there because it suggested I knew that it wasn't going to work as much. Mental health first aid. I couldn't believe that actually employees could still see through this one where they had cited it at the benefit they did not need. Mental health first aid because it's been described as a tick but exercise for to see untrained volunteers do more harm than good. To be fair to the volunteers, they want to do, they want to help. They put their hands up to do something. They've been trained for two days, max. Because to be fair to the people who train them, they're not supposed to be therapists. So why would I train you for six months or a year? I'm not going to do that. You're not a therapist. You're just supposed to signpost people to get help. Except we're still doing that in the midst of a NHS crisis and whatever, which means that if I refer someone to go to their GP or whatever, that waiting list is a long list. So... Me, as a mental health first aider, what do I do? The person hadn't been referred. They haven't gotten help. So I'm now worried about them getting help. And I'm seeking to say, are you okay or whatever? Eventually, they burn out, right? And so if they burn out, they're no longer available for service. Therefore, the employees now know, oh, wait, if I thought we had mental health first aided, I can't find it. any. 
So yeah, um, the men- mental health first aid is something we've always been wary of. Not a huge uh, fan. Listen, I am all for something that raises the awareness of the importance of looking after your mental health and well-being. All for it. All for anything which trains people on how to spot the signs of mental ill health and how to handle those at, at a certain level. What I'm not in support of is that this is the cure-all band-aid that companies need to support their employees' well-being. Because it's not. It's not. It's not. It no. can never be. I can't hand on heart say that if our organisation had had mental health first aiders who I didn't already know necessarily, or perhaps even worse, who I did, that I'd have gone and said, you know what, I've been feeling like life would be better off if I wasn't in it. Yeah. I can't say that that's something I would ever have done. And if I had, what the heck is that person supposed to say now or do? They have no authority. They have no control. They can't do much other than carry all of that with them. Yeah. Okay. Can I just say, we're going to we're gonna move on from the mental health first aid one. We do have an episode on that one. I can't remember what episode number it was a few weeks ago. I'll put the link to the show notes so you can go and hear all about what we think about it. And also some solutions. So if you insist on using mental health first aid, we have talked about how you might leverage them properly and mm-hmm. make, make, get the best out of it. Okay. So... I don't want to feel like we're slagging it off because we are, but <laughs> but we are going to also give you ways to manage it if you have already invested in it. So mm. don't lose too much hope. We're going to move on. Now, what I wanted to say here, the well-being washing, this thing where companies pretend that they're helping, but they're not helping, it's not necessarily done on purpose. So I wanted to just say that to be clear. It's not like they've sought out. It's just that they don't know what to do. So a study by McKinsey Health Institute found that um, there's a big disconnect between people's perception of the company culture at different levels of the organization. So the, the frontline people think one thing, middle managers think another thing, top of the funnel thinks another thing. So employees just simply don't know that their employees or employers rather simply don't know that their employees are unhappy. So employers rate their mental health and well-being of their employees 22% more favorably than the employee themselves. Does that make sense? So leaders will think, oh, yeah, yeah, they're 80% happy. But when you ask the employee, they're only 60% happy. So that's what I want to tell this, you. This is why we are a culture change consultancy. Because if you do not have a corporate culture, which creates, and I know it's a buzzword, but it's it means something, psychological safety within your employee um, base so that they feel that they can be honest and open with their line managers, their team. You will never know how your employees are actually feeling, but you will be suffering the consequences. Yeah. So is your company well-being watching? Here's how you spot it. So we're going to give you some hints and tips here because you may not know, okay, you as business leader, HR leader, you might know you think you're doing a lot, but you don't actually know that you're kind of well-being watching without meaning to. Mm. So these are ways that you can spot it, okay? So one, are you celebrating Mental Health Awareness Day without adequately meeting the needs of your own workers? So in other words, one of the research from Clyro, the Clara, Clara Wellbeing found that seven in 10, so 71% of workplaces celebrated Mental Health Awareness Day in some way. So that's brilliant. But only a third of them rated the organization's mental health good or outstanding. 
Okay, so you're celebrating it, but you're not really making sure that it's, it meets the need of people who actually need that service that you're advocating for. So that's one. Or that superficial tick boxing that we keep talking about. When you look at the easy to do solutions, such as the stand up desks or yoga classes, but neglect the trickier, yes, more challenging, holistic nature of well being. So if you've got a stand up desk and you're using that to keep yourself healthy, but you're expected to do 70 hour weeks regularly, you're not gonna be healthy. And an organization that doesn't look at the entire work process and work um, structure, or in other words, the company culture, is um, well-being washing if they think that just by throwing a few gimmicky things in into, into the mix that they're supporting their employees' well-being. The Irish survey that we talked about earlier show that the benefits workers say they're not getting but actually want include work risk assessments for stress. These exist. Are you using them? The um, HSC have developed them and they are brilliant. And they will tell you if there is anything in your workplace, whether it be the management or the work itself or the culture that needs adjusting. They want access to a wider variety of healthy lifestyle classes, not just gym membership, nor yoga, although I love yoga. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, that. (laughs) They want more support for women uh, on menopausal issues. And there are that's happening more and more. We're seeing more um, menopause coaches coming up and, and that's brilliant. They want better quality. Let me rephrase that. Better quality mental health support. So not just having the things that you can do easily at low cost, but the things that will actually make a difference to first of all, preventing mental ill health in the first place. And second of all, quickly and decisively supporting the employees who are struggling. They want flexible working. Who doesn't? We all know they do. And they want, what they want is if you're asking their opinion, in your employee engagement surveys, right? Actually respond to what they say they want and need. That's what they want. You need to ask your people. This is why in our Rural Wellbeing 360, the very first pillar is discovery. We're so guilty of making assumptions about what people need based on what we've seen elsewhere or what we think would work for us. Actually ask people what they want. Okay, so here's another one. Are you just talking about it? Are you just, we talk about mental health all day. We talk about it all the time. Are you are you just talking? Because talk is cheap, right? Mm-hmm. So it's good to talk. I like that. Good to talk. Who's that talk talk? That's Bob Hoskins. It's good to talk. <laughs> oh, okay. Why did I say we talk talk? It was, I think it was BT. <laughs> it was back in the okay, day. Really good to talk. Okay. I, I digress there. Good to talk. But it can't be the only thing you do. So I like talking, you know, with therapists, with coach. We like people to talk. We like that all day mm-hmm. long. Talk about your feelings. Some of us prefer to talk about our feelings more than others, but it cannot be the only thing that you do. So when you make big gestures, like with little impact, so you invite big keynote, right? Big sports celebrity people, which I had, always had an issue with. Like, why are they always sports celebrities? You know it now, though. I now, I now know mm-hmm. it. I now know why. Because, you know, it's the definition of health and fitness and resilient and going the long distance. I get that. I guess there'll be more other types of 
people they put the keynote. You could hire us. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But the big keynote celebrity thing. So this is great. They come and talk about mental health and burnout, but they cannot answer your delegates or your staff's questions. Like, well, where can I turn to if I feel burnt out? Like, they can't answer that for your company, can't they? Right? How can my manager help me reduce my workload? They can't answer that either. Because really, that's not really their job. Their job is to inspire. When they come and give big keynote, their job is to inspire, to get people to take action, but not if you don't have solution for them to take action with. That's such an important point, right? So definitely to say that. Yeah. And then the other thing. When we put so much of the responsibility on the affected individual whilst downplaying our own part in this, So this is something I say. This is another reason why I I have an issue with the, my door is always open. There's nothing wrong with having your door always open. That's that's a minimum. The issue is when you expect someone who is struggling so much to just walk through it as if it's not a problem. That's so unrealistic and unfair. If you want someone to get help, make it easy for them. Right. So you can get counselling for your fatigued employees, support for them. But if you're not supporting the line manager or or equipping the line manager to be able to oversee an overworked, burnt out team, you're not going to help. They won't be able to help their employees to use the service and they won't know how to use the service themselves or telling the individual that that it's all about how you manage your time without addressing the workload. Yeah. Right. I feel like we're on a soapbox today. I know, but but that's what we're known for. It's a soapbox. (laughs) But we're going to talk about how we can do better. So, yes, we have talked about all the things that could go wrong, all the things that might suggest that you might be well-being watching. And, you know, I'm not going to come to you and say you're well-being watching. You're going to do that for yourself. We're going to look at what you actually offer to your organisation, what you offer to your employees, what you your commitment has been to well-being and you decide for yourself if you're well-being watching or not based on what mm-hmm. we just said i'm going to leave that up to you be but honest if you are well-being watching and you recognize a lot of these signs and thinking we are well-being watching then what am i going to do i absolutely we love this quote me this quote is by barbara jeffrey um who we met recently she's a partner in mckinsey and at the mckinsey health institute as well and here's her quote we can't yoga our way out of workplace well-being issues. Businesses need to invest in the underlying problem to create the necessary cultural, cultural change. change. Mm. You cannot yoga your way, fruit and ice cream your way. You can't mental health first aid your way out of workplace well-being issues. You must understand the underlying issue of why your employees are experiencing what they are experiencing. Some of them will be work-related issues. Some will not be. Some will be things at home. But they're still the same people. So we must address what is affecting them. So how can you do better? Culture starts at the top. Ah, we cannot stress this enough. It is not about looking at the bottom of the ladder and just fixing it there. Start at the top, right? A culture of whatever it is, but particularly one that supports something like workplace well-being, something that supports the sort of more sensitive, difficult, nuanced issues. It needs to be built and embodied by the senior executive team. They need to be seen 
to talk the talk and walk the walk. Otherwise, it's all talk, no action, right? They've got to be bought in, really bought in, not just please don't hassle me with this stuff anymore, HR, just go and do what you need to do, but truly understand why supporting their employees' welfare, mental health and well-being has a direct bottom line impact. They need to get it. Otherwise, it is just going to be a tick box exercise and whatever brilliantly crafted strategy you put in place will be the very first thing that is wiped out when there is a squeeze on budgets, right? And once your employees lose trust and faith in in your organization because they see people talking about mental health and well-being and doing contrary things to support theirs, then they, they lose faith in your organization as a whole and they start looking for somewhere else, anywhere else, or they just mentally check out. Yeah. And of course, we're going to, ha- what happened when pl- employees start looking elsewhere? Like, think about that for a minute. The minute they decide they're going to start looking elsewhere, they're taking their eyes off the ball, haven't they? Because they're no longer as invested in the project they're working on. They're no longer as invested in the teams they're working with. They might like them and go for drinks with them, but they're not as invested because they're checking out slowly. And once they do that, they're looking for alternative, which means all of a sudden your productivity will start to drop. You won't be able to figure out why because they seem, everybody's doing fine. So why is the productivity dropping? Just wanted to just add that there. So here's the other thing that you could do. You have to measure it. Mm. You know, so if you think about whatever well-being programs and initiatives that you're doing, you have to measure the effect. How do you know? We've asked a group of that, a couple of round tables. How do you know that this process that you're doing or this round table or this workshop you're doing or this training you're doing for your managers have an effect on the actual bottom line? In other words, the people aren't as sick, the people are asking for help on time, the people aren't leaving. How are you measuring that? They can't. They're not really measuring it. You put it in place and there's a level of blind trust that said if you build it, they will come, which is true to some extent. But you need to know when to change tactics, right? So you have to measure the effects of whatever well-being program or initiative that you're doing and the effect it has on your staff over a sustained period of time. So you're going to decide to pick it six months, one year, up to you, but you have to feel like you're measuring something. So it allows you to invest in areas where you see better return on investment, where you need to pull funding from, where you need to put funding back in, right? Because it allows you to work out whether you're wasting money somewhere and then investing it in places that matter, like fruits and ice cream. I don't know if fruits and ice cream will be effective in your team. It might be. Depends on what team you have and where they come from, right? So I'm not saying the fruits and ice cream is the worst thing in the world. Far from it. But is that the best use of your money? Or is something else better, like getting a therapist to come and help your mental health first aider so that they can offload some of those feelings they've been carrying from all your other staff? That might be the best use of that money. Your employee can afford their own fruits and ice cream. If you pay them well enough, right? And the other thing about, like, I like to call it quantifying happiness. I think that was a, a clever yeah, little thing that I came up with. There. Quantifying happiness. The thing about it is it can only do you, who is desperately trying to champion good mental health and well-being through effective um, strategic interventions in your organization. It can only help you because if you get those actual results that demonstrate the effectiveness on the bottom line, because that's all shareholders care about, therefore that's all the CFO and the COO and the CEO really care about, then it means that you can continue to invest 
in the much needed support that you are providing for your employees. So it's not it's not a waste of time. It's one of the most crucial and responsible things that you can do is to find how you can measure, quantify the effectiveness of what you're doing. It allows you to tweak when it's not effective and find something that works better and continue supporting the things that do work. Yeah. Also, I want you to be beware of misleading information and measurement. So, for example, a low uptake of your EAP does not mean people don't need the help. It just means they're not using it. So just mm-hmm. be very mindful of that. We've seen that before. Where some say, oh, yeah, we had the CBT therapy and whatever, but only five people took it up, which means everybody must be fine. No, they're not fine. They're just not comfortable using it. And you haven't created enough psychological space for them to think, okay, this is safe for me to go and use it without making me feel like I'm not good at my job. Mm. Okay? It just means mm. they don't feel comfortable using it until you get people saying they use it, you love it, and then there's a low number after that, then it tells you, okay, they were excited to use it, now they're handling things, which is why they don't use it as much. So you cannot measure the first time you put something in place and go, oh yeah, they're not using it, so they must be okay. Listen to your employee. Do not fall into the trap of guessing what they want. If you're not using a service, ask them why not you're not using them. And you can send surveys, it's great, but I find the best way to get proper data is to focus group them. Mm. Gather a few people, different people, different departments. It could be snap. It doesn't have to be like a whole plan. Just ask some people, by the way, can we have a chat, quick chat? I want to ask about X, Y, and Z. And just ask people, have you used it? Why didn't you use it? What stopped you from using it? What will help you use it again? That kind of thing. That way you start to have quantifiable data, data that you can use to back qualitative up the data. Qualitative data, right? Yeah. Data that you can use to back up the numbers that you've been collecting. Because numbers, they're nice, but they're not actual people. It's hard to be able to see beyond 12 mm-hmm. as opposed to. Those 12 include John, Ngaji, Obi, Leila, <laughs> in my whole household. Um, you know, so that's what we're trying to say. It, 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 when it's, it feels different when you name those people. Okay, I just wanted to just add that. What else? Listen, we're all trying to streamline, be really efficient, and make things universal. But that doesn't really work when it comes to emotional, mental, psychological support. One size does not fit all, okay? So you might need to have different kinds of solutions because there are different kinds of people who will need different kinds of help. So whether it be because there are gender or cultural or economic differences in your employees, you might need to provide bespoke support for people like those who are in the sandwich generation where they're looking after young kids and elderly parents at the same time, they might need a different kind of um, well-being support to those who are just starting out in their careers or those close to retirement. So don't think, well, we've got this one answer and that's it. For instance, if you have an EAP or um, coaching and counselling services available, how many of those do you know have Counselors, coaches, therapists, experts on hand who are trained to deal with, for instance, racial trauma. Hmm? I bet it's not a question that you tend to ask. But if me as a black employee wants to talk to someone, I need to know that I can go and call this EAP and get support from someone who gets me who looks like me, has shared experiences and doesn't make me feel guilty talking to them about 
the systemic racism that I feel I'm experiencing in 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 XYZ organization. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Now final point. It's all about the money. <laughs> You're gonna have money, to spend money, money. Ah, oh, I wasn't thinking about that. Oh yeah. Thinking... <laughs> Brilliant. Um so I was okay. Dick is where it come to roost, isn't it? It's the money. We've been to all sorts of event conferences about well being and mm. And of all this conversation about strategy the people are doing. And I won't lie, I felt like um, me and guys are going to do a, a podcast about the conferences and what's coming up because you guys got insights about what's out there at the moment. And there's something about this thing. Everybody trying to find a way to not spend this money. Yeah. <laughs> they're trying to find a way where... Do it on the cheap, cheap. On the cheap. And, and not because they're just thinking, oh, like it's on the cheap, but they're doing things like, oh, no, we can get somebody to come and give speaking. We can get um, managers to take a one-day training so they can understand things. These are helpful, but they're not going to change the game at all. And that's why the ice cream and food thing is it's money. They're trying to save money. And here's the, the, here's the kicker. <laughs> you have to spend this money. You have to invest. It's like anything good and quality in your life at work, you must invest in it. Now, the issue might be, I can't see you. The return on investment is not as clear. We can go and get the data that tells you might, it might be clear for your organization. So you must invest in sustainable well-being culture change the fruit and veg and the ice cream are not sustainable okay they don't they don't they don't change the long game if that makes sense and that's what we're trying to change here a whole culture of things so the people can start to be more themselves at work they take responsibility for their own feeling their own issue their own career progression and they do that by seeking help and support on time but they will only do that if an organization has created enough good enough psychologically safe space for them to feel like they can okay so well-being isn't a perk if you keep using it as benefit you're hitting the wrong note the idea that oh yeah we offer mental health first aid stop saying that stop it ask your employee the fact that you have three more mental health first aiders how did it make your life better ask them that how could it make work better if they can't give you a response that makes sense stop saying it Listen to what they say. Make their lives better. So it's not a perk. The free gym membership will do nothing for someone who's in state three burnout and considering suicide. Not going to do that because they're too exhausted to exercise. They don't give a shit about exercising. They don't give a shit about themselves now. So you saying you've got a free gym membership are only for healthy people, if you think about it. So I'm not saying don't have them, but please don't use that as a way to say, oh, yeah, we've got this thing. So everybody's all right now. Not true. Now, unlike physical health, mental well-being is more complex. It's very individual. It's contextual. It's ever-changing. People are different. So how one person responds to something isn't the same thing. If I break my leg and Gaudi breaks her leg, I bet the treatment is the same. Technically, I'll bleed. I'll ble- probably bleed the same. But mental health would be different. Same incident, same trauma. But me and Gaudi will react different to that trauma. One might do well initially and then tail off later or vice versa, that kind of thing. So because of that, your support system, your app, your services, your training, your coaching, it has to be flexible, where we're talking about the individual well-being. It bespoke to that person. And the only way to do that is to have a wide range of support that you can offer someone, but they have to work. They have to be evidence-based. The fruits and veg, I keep saying fruits and veg, but I meant 
the ice cream and the food thing. <laughs> Many people like that. It's a perk. It's lovely. But that would not help me stop someone from attempting suicide later that night. That mm-hmm. wouldn't do it. It would be a nice meal to eat the last time you killed yourself, but that would, be, that would not help me. I just want you to really think about that. But for you, you don't have to guess. You have your people. Ask them what they want and keep asking them because they might say they choose an ice cream the first time because they think that's what you want to hear because saying something else would suggest they're going to be hard work, aren't they? So don't do that. Just let them do that. And, and welcome to work, ask experts like me and Gaji, the other corporate culture change consultants out there. Don't look for them, use <laughs> But you need to... You have to invest. Even if you're not investing in the advice and you're investing in the strategy, investing in the, in the product itself or the service itself, but you have to invest. But shoot where to. And please don't make this up for yourself. You don't have to. It's just... I just wanted to just say that. I know this feels like very emotional for us, actually, because it's been so long. Like, people, it's still not happening. We're still yeah. well being watching. It's even gotten worse than the last time we saw it, actually. The, the thing is, I think what, what um, those working in, in the well-being industry want you to know is that you're going to have to invest. If you do not invest upfront in proactive preventative strategies that are effective. You will be investing in your recruitment fees, yeah. your um, your retention, your salary, your all, blah, 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 blah. all that stuff. Ultimately, you will be investing in absenteeism, <laughs> presenteeism, sick leave, reduced productivity. You're going to have to pay. One way or the other. Absolutely. And I can tell you, it is much more beneficial to pay upfront. If you don't believe believe me, believe Deloitte. They've done the research for the last five Maybe years. McKinsey. There are a lot of research out there. It's not like we have to generate them. We don't have to look too far. You only need to Google it, literally. ROI for Mental Health Initiative will pop out. Mm. Plenty of services there. Because at the end of the day, what we're trying to say is for your employees to thrive, on a large industrial scale, not just one small person here or the team here, the whole organization to drive, the culture has to shift to accommodate it. Mm-hmm. Unless that culture was already like that. And a lot of cultures were not like that because we only just started taking mental health very seriously in the last three years, four years. But for you to change that, you need to do that on a large scale. But you cannot do it by doing what you can't. What's that word? My, um, it's a very Nigerian thing, actually, where you say you cannot boil an ocean with a, one by, with a cup of water, one by one. Basically. Never heard that expression. Yeah. You cannot boil an ocean one cup at a time. Mm. That would be there forever. Mm-hmm. So you cannot boil the ocean. So what you're going to do, as much as you can, you gather as much as you can, the large body of water you can, and then try to boil that side. But you cannot do one cup here, pour. One cup here, pour. You'll be mm. there forever. Mm. But you had to take a whole large lake and decide, yeah, we're going to do this one right now. So it cannot be your whole organization. So this is a long-term commitment that requires a robust well-being strategy, the right key performance indicators, the thing that said, are we measuring the right thing? The right training for your leader, training and coaching for your leaders so that they can support this body of work that you're going to do. And repeating the desired behavior from boardroom down to the shop floor. So is your company well-being washing? If you are recognizing any of the signs of the things we talked about, then stop, right? Stop. And I implore you, OB implores you, 
do something. Do something about it because you are better than this and your employees deserve better. We know that the annual returns for the 100 best companies have had a cumulative return of 1,700%. That's 1,709% since 1998. And that's compared with a 526% return for the Russell 3000 index during the same period, or in other words, everybody else. Okay? There is no shortcut to good workplace well-being, but if you get it right, the rewards are phenomenal. It takes time. It takes money and effort. It takes expertise and guidance, but it's the best investment you can ever make in your people and your organization. So if you'd like to talk to us about how we can help you to design a sustainable and effective well-being strategy to help you retain the good, talented, hardworking people that you want to work for you, then it's so simple. So simple. In the show notes, you'll find a link that will allow you to schedule a call straight into our diaries and we can help you. We are going to have a no pressure appointment. We're just going to listen to what your current challenges and goals are. And then together, we can design a tailored plan and help you execute it. It won't be free. It won't be free. I'll, I'll stress that. The call, it costs nothing. But to execute something that works will cost. So make sure you have got your CEO and CFO already on board and understanding why you need to invest and then come and talk to us and we will show you how to get the most bang for that buck. Okay? Right. Well, lecture over. We're stepping down from that high horse pedestal. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we hope you found this useful. It's so important that we do not start losing the trust and the goodwill from the employees that we've got because we're being tokenistic about our well-being efforts. You just can't do that. If you've got thoughts about it, reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you as well. Yeah. Uh, until next time. See you. Bye, Rebels. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Wellbeing Rebellion. If you liked what you just heard, please share it with your colleagues. Follow us on LinkedIn. The link will be in the show notes and generally show us some love. We want to build a whole army of fellow rebels who want to create positive workplaces for everyone. Will you join the rebellion? See you next time.